So with that, again, welcome everybody. Um, maybe what we'll do is we'll just do a quick round of introductions so that that way uh, we all kind of know each other and, and who's speaking. And what I'm going to do is just look at the on the side here and maybe we'll start with, um, I'll go from the bottom up. So we'll go Vanessa, Heather, Gabriel, Crystal, Kat, Andrea, Rosemary, and then myself. So uh, Vanessa. Hi everyone. My name is Vanessa. My pronouns are she, her. I am a settler of Latinx descent. Um, I am from the territory of the Coahuilteca nations in what we now call north of Mexico. Um, and I'm an immigrant here. I live in Cochrane, Alberta. Um, I am a teacher and I am also an activist for agricultural uh, workers, temporary agricultural workers now. Awesome, thank you. Um, oh yeah, so now the whole thing bounced around. Next is iPad, which I'm assuming is Rosemary, so I'll unmute you here with Rosemary. Or will it let me? Okay, I think I muted you, and now I think you have to unmute yourself. Oh, okay. Perfect. I'm supposed to go next? I thought we were doing, okay. Uh, my name is Rosemary Brown. I use she and her pronouns. And I'm a settler originally from the U.S. where I grew up uh, near the Onondaga Nation on what was always their land before that. And came here to Canada in the um, late mid-70s. Raised my family here in Calgary. Yeah. And I've been in the book club for a while, and it's very rewarding. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Rosemary, for introducing yourself. Uh, so uh, next, I think I have Heather, but it looks like you're muted and video off. So perfect. I'm, I'm, I just turned my video off because I'm still eating din din, and that's kind of rude because I didn't bring enough for everyone. So sorry about that. And I apologize, but hey, I made it to the meeting because hey, I've been having pretty terrible attendance here. So, so thank you to Kat um, <laughs> and uh, for forwarding the uh, ongoing um, Addy to hit. Uh, so it's been um, a kind of a rough COVID uh, lockdown. My best girlfriend neighbor across the hall, I found her dead in back at the beginning of it. And so it, she, it wasn't COVID related. It was, um, to me, it was lockdown related. And um, because I think that that would be the reason for her stroke. So it's been really difficult for me. And so I'm just coming around a little bit at a time. And uh, I feel for everyone else that is single and being locked and has uh, experienced the lockdown as a single person or anyone that's heart is breaking to reach out to family or friends. Um, I think it's just been horrible. And, um, and uh, there will be, well, there'll never be a return to normal. This is our new normal because cases are up. Go figure that. Just like we told you, right? So it's gonna be around for a while. So with that, we're gonna work with it, right? and uh, do the Zoom. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing, Heather. 
Um, so I guess from the bottom, we've bounced up to Gabriel, if you want to introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, so hey everyone, my name is Gabrielle Fayant. Most people just call me Gabby. Um, I'm originally from Alberta, actually. My family comes from one of the eight land-based Métis settlements. Um, so my family comes from Fishing Lake Métis settlement. Um, if you're not, I, like over here in Ottawa, people have no idea what I'm talking about. But since you guys are in, in Alberta, you might know a little bit more <laughs> than Ontario folks. Um, but so Fishing Lake is just like north, just a little bit northeast of Edmonton on the Saskatchewan border. Um, so yeah, that's where I come from. Um, I was actually born in Calgary <clears throat> on Blackfoot territory. And then my, uh, my Coco moved us up into Edmonton, into Cree territory. <laughs> and uh, I've been just traveling around, bouncing everywhere ever since. Uh, but I settled down here in Ottawa um quite a while ago about 15 years ago now and uh yeah so i've lived here on unceded unsurrendered algonquin territory um and so a lot of algonquin folks refer to this as occupied territory um so when you think of canada the capital of canada it's actually located on occupied territory um and so i also said uh i'm part of the bear clan uh, that's part of my roles and responsibilities. Um, what else? I'm 32 winters old. Um, and uh, yeah, so I also identify as uh, Machif, Métis, uh, Otipamasawak. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit about me. Miigwech. Um, hi, hi. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so next on the list would be Crystal, then Kat, then Andrea. Um, hi everyone. Uh, so I'm Crystal. I grew up uh, living mostly overseas until I was 16 and then my family came to Canada but my dad, my dad, uh, his family's from Nova Scotia. Well originally colonizers in the U.S. what's now the U.S. and then up to Nova Scotia and then over to Ottawa. So he worked for the <coughs> federal government and that's why we traveled all around and then my mom's side uh, from Saskatchewan but originally from Romania so Romanian immigrants to Saskatchewan and settlers on that land um, and then I came to Calgary about 10 12 years ago now for work I'm a teacher and so there were more opportunities out here at that time so I ended up staying out here so. Yeah, that's me. Thanks, Crystal. I appreciate that. Kat? Hello, I'm Kat Schick. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I am a settler artist who has lived um, on Treaty 7 territory for about uh, 14 years now. I was born on Treaty 1 territory in Winnipeg. Um, 
part of being an artist um, for me means being socially active. And so I've been on this journey for quite a while. And I um, also started a book club called Settlers Book Club to educate white people about everything that they need, we need to know. So, um, and I'm honored to um, be in Michelle's book club for a year now. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kat. Andrea? Oh, I, I think I need to know about that settler book club. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a settler and um, grew up in Toronto, very, very Ontario centric all my life. Got punted out here against my will for my husband's job. And I've learned more about Canada, I feel, living out here um, having met amazing people like Michelle, um, who have made me aware of these issues and the dynamics that are at play, because they don't really play out in Ontario in your face the way they do more so here. Um, but I know they are ongoing. So anyway, I'm just grateful for the journey brought me here and that I've been able to connect with people like Michelle and, and learn, learn about the dynamics of our country and uh, what we, what the, the work we have ahead of us to try to fix this. Awesome, thank you. Sure, hopefully we'll be able to get that. And, and Sarah, you joined us. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'll unmute you here and see if you want to come introduce yourself. Okay. Now, is it unmuted? Yep. Okay, good. I apologize for being late. I just had 7.30 in my mind, and I don't know. I just, my calendar was like, book club, 6.30. I was like, ah. So, hello. Um, welcome. It's, I mean, welcome to me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little flustered. Um, I am Sarah Flynn, and this is my second time in Chapters and Chat. And um, so, I'm super happy to be here. And I, again, apologize for my tardiness. And uh, that last time I found it an incredibly um, enriching and uh, great mind-opening experience. So I'm looking forward to tonight and many other times. And thank you all. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. So, uh, you know, when we asked you, so do you really want me to call you Gabby? When we asked Gabby if she would be interested in joining <laughs> yeah. us, I, uh, the reason why I was thinking of you was that it, it was almost immediately that this um, article had come out about, um, I don't know, basically Ottawa dropping the ball and giving all of this funding to the RCMP instead of youth programs. And I just knew that um, you were the person that really needed to be uh, guiding this conversation about this call to action. But I, I do wanna give you some background because you're new here. Um, basically four years ago, Carolyn Bennett started chapters and or not chapters and chats uh, the hashtag indigenous reads initiative to try to encourage people to uh to read about indigenous issues in order to start closing that gap and um you know i'm associated with liberal party so i assume she meant it and um you know I, I i started that here in calgary and i don't even know if there's a single book club across the country that is like free and open to the public and been going every single month. So um, originally when we started it, we, it was like book after book after book. And then when we did the TRC 
the overwhelming sentiment was we have to break this down into sections. So what we've been doing is reading a book, breaking down a section, reading a book, breaking down the next section and just slowly going through it. And um, so now we're already at call to action 66. And, um, you know, that was this, this month's uh, initiative. So uh, what I do, because I have all of the final reports as well as like most people have this copy, um, the final report summary, but I, I have them all. Um, I was lucky enough to, to snag those. So um, what I was going to do uh, just now is read, um, there's about four pages here from, this would be volume six about uh, Canada's residential schools and the theme is reconciliation, but it goes into, um, you know, four pages of, of this one call to action. And I know most people in the, in our book club, do, they don't have access to this. So I just thought I'd read it. Um, TRC public education forums, education days and youth dialogues. And this would be 124 or 127 if you, um, any of you do end up getting a copy. That's, that's, this is where I'm going to be reading from. Um, education for reconciliation must happen not only in formal education settings such as elementary and secondary schools and post-secondary education, but also in informal places. One of the ways that the commission fulfilled its public education mandate was through forums such as the national event uh, education days and youth dialogues the commission believes that establishing a strong foundation for reconciliation depends on the achievement of individual self-respect and mutual respect between aboriginal and non-indigenous or non-aboriginal canadians i have a hard time saying aboriginal i want to say indigenous um, although it is true for adults it is particularly urgent for young people as they are the lifeblood of reconciliation to the future. Mary Ellie Marin, Mary Ellen Turpel Lafon is a member of the Muskeg Lake Cree Nation, a former judge of the Saskatchewan Provincial Court, and now the British Columbia representative for children and youth. Her children's great-great-great-grandparents attended St. Michael's Residential School in Duck Lake, Saskatchewan. In a written submission following her attendance at the TRC Victoria Regional Event in April of 2012, she noted that the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child and the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People are essential tools for applying a human rights lens to Aboriginal children's lives that encourages us to expand our understanding to past injustices to recognize the full extent of abuses of their human rights and to seek ways to remedy those abuses. With regard to the importance of engaging children and youth in reconciliation, she said, there are many dimensions to reconciliation which can occur within families, communities, Canadian society, and the international community. There is developing awareness about children's potential role in societal reconciliation processes, and they need to be they, the need to pay particular attention to children's special considerations. The commission uh, concurs with these findings. There is also a growing international consensus that children and youth must be involved in the reconciliation process itself. Findings from the earlier Truth and Reconciliation Commissions indicate that the children have often been marginalized in the very processes that are designed to remedy 
the impacts of violence on young lives. As both victims and witnesses of violence, children and youth bring unique perspectives to what is needed to address intergenerational harms and to promote reconciliation in their families, communities, and broader society. At the Saskatchewan National Event, grade eight student Brooklyn Ray, who attended the Education Day said, I think it's really important for youth to voice their opinions, to not only prove to, the, to themselves that they can, that their voice is important, but to prove to adults that they have a voice and that they have a strong opinion that is important to the world. Elder uh, Barney Williams, a member of the TRC Survivor Committee, one of the panelists at the Education Day Youth Dialogue said, I think more and more people are realizing that the engagement of youth is critical. For me as a survivor, I'm really impressed on how much they knew. I was impressed with the type of questions the audience asked. It tells me that somebody who's carrying this pain for over 68 years, that there's hope. Finally, there's hope on the horizon and that it's coming from the right place. It's coming from the youth. The commission agrees. We believe that the youth and children must have a strong voice in developing reconciliation policy programs and practices into the future. It is therefore vital to develop appropriate public education strategies to support the ongoing involvement of youth and children in age-appropriate reconciliation initiatives and the projects at community, regional, and national levels. Through direct participation at the TRC's national events, thousands of young people and children and teachers across the country had the opportunity to learn about residential schools and think about their role and responsibility in reconciliation. The TRC Education Days were designed specifically for elementary and high school students and their teachers. Young people had the opportunity to listen to and interact with elders and survivors. They attended interactive workshops where they learned about uh, residential school history, resilience, and healing through the arts, painting, carving, storytelling, music, and film. They visited the learning places to walk through the Legacy of Hope Foundation display, 100 Years of Loss, and to the posters and archival photos of the residential schools from their own region. Education days were well attended. For example, at the British Columbia National Event in Vancouver, approximately 5,000 elementary and high school students from across the province spent the day at the national event. In advance of Education Day, teachers in each region were given orientation uh, materials to help prepare their students and themselves. In total, close to 15,000 young people across the country have participated in Education Days, most with a commitment to take uh, what they learned and witnessed back to their home schools to share with thousands of more of their fellow students. Over the course of the TRC mandate, the Commission worked in partnership with the International Center of Transitional Justices, Children and Youth Program to host a series of small retreats and workshops. Youth dialogues were also integrated into Education Day activities at national events. Their purpose was to engage youth in dialogue and to support their efforts to make their own submissions to the TRC. For example, in October of 2010, the Commission co-sponsored a retreat for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal youth near Vancouver, BC. Lucky. Young people came together to learn about residential schools, talk with elders, and share team building activities. One young participant said that during the retreat, we learned more about each other in the past. It's really important because it actually teaches us the stories that we heard it touched us.
and it inspired us to become better people. In June of 2011, Molly Tilden and Marlissa Brown, uh, young women who attended this retreat, produced their own ver video documentary, Our Truth, The Youth Perspective on Residential Schools. Hmm, I'll try to find that. The production featured interviews with their classmates in Yellowknife, what they thought they knew about Indian residential schools. They presented the video at the Northern National Event in um, Nunavik, Northwest Territories. Virginie Ladish, director of the ICTJ's Children and Youth Program, summarized what the two young women found and the subsequent impact of the project. The answers are shocking. Some students had no knowledge or simply um, complete indifference, those who are largely the non-Aboriginal youth interviewed. Other students talked about the enduring impact that they've seen in terms of high rates of alcoholism, uh, suicide, and teenage pregnancies. So there's a huge disconnect in terms of how the young people view the relevance of this legacy and what knowledge they have of it. When the video was shared with people involved in designing a secondary school curriculum for the Northwest Territories, and none of it, they could not believe that their youth had such reactions. So the curriculum on residential schools, which was pre previously barely addressed in the classroom, was revised to be a mandatory 25 hours of instruction, to which Ms. Brown and Ms. Tilden's video is a critical component. Well, it sounds like we better watch our truth, the uh, youth mm -hmm. perspective on residential schools. In October of 2011, the TRC initiative prepared and supported a group of Mi'kmaq youth reporters at the Atlantic National event in Halifax. They interviewed survivors and documented the TRC event. At the follow-up retreat at the community, the young reporters discussed their experiences and produced a documentary called Our Legacy, Our Hope. In 2012, the documentary was presented at the Youth Dialogue during the TRC's national event in Saskatchewan. Some of the youth also presented this documentary to international policymakers at the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues at 2012. The Commission's interactions with youth indicated that the young people deeply cared about the past. They understood that knowing the whole story about Canada's history is relevant for today, critical for their future. And in Youth Dialogue Forum at the TRCBC national event, Rory Shade of the Commission said, I truly believe that all youth should learn what happened with residential schools because it's part of our history as of a nation. We cannot process it as a society until we learn from the mistakes of the past. Knowledge is power and knowledge should be shared. The history and impacts of residential school system must be taught because to deny a part of that history simply because it's unpleasant or controversial means to deny ourselves the chance to grow as a society. Reconciliation is a process of accepting what happened and growing from it. We must listen to the testimonies of those who survived such events. We must learn to live together and do that. We must first reconcile with our past. In an expression of reconciliation made to the TRC at the Alberta National Event on March 27, 2014 by a group of Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal youth from the Center of Global Citizenship, Education and Research in Edmonton, one of the non-Aboriginal youth, um, Heshi Lu, Lee, I think, uh, told us about their project. First, the group made up of uh, youth from First Nation Reserves, the rural communities of High Prairie and Fort McLeod, 
and the city of Edmonton spent a, a month studying and talking about residential schools and their shared history. Then they held a virtual town hall where over 300 students talked about their vision for reconciliation. Emerald uh, Lease from Little River Cree Nation told us that the youth believed that reconciliation is the way to reestablish lost trust and open doors to positive and productive communications. When we affirm every cultural's pride is their heritage, healing can take place, said Haley Greyer Stewart, representing the Benai, Siksika, uh, Sutina, and Stony First Nations. The youth believe that within our communities, we need to teach and create awareness, cultural appreciation, as well as healing and uh, rest and restore restoration. We have to, we have if we introduce youth to the culture at a youth age in our school through curriculum and the practice of restorative justice, it will teach the younger generation to be proactive instead of reactive. Métis youth Shelby Lachlan said, "The youth of Alberta believe that in order to move forward, healing must." Of towards healing and reconciliation. It is important for action to be taken at a national and provincial level. We must establish uh, trust between these two Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal collectives. And through the honoring, acknowledgement and respect of all treaties and settlements, we believe that this can happen. And then Hanshai Lee then spoke again and said, we the youth in Alberta came together as a diverse and dynamic group with representatives from Treaty 6, 7, 8, a Métis settlement and non-Aboriginal communities. Together we create a, our vision for a future and we will serve as hope for our province and nations as we seek to facilitate healing and reconciliation for the survivors of Indian residential school system. This will take the commitment of multiple generations and many stakeholders, but when reconciliation is achieved, it will make for a better Canada. Today, we, the youth, are 11% of the population, but we are 100% of the future, and we will be a powerful ally. The only one, we only have one request. We want to be an active part of the conversation. We want to be an active part of the solution. We want to be part of making that better, stronger Canada that everyone is proud to call home. Okay, I promise there's only like three more paragraphs. <laughs> uh, this project is one example of the significant work being undertaken by nonprofit organizations that work with youth on issues related to intercultural understanding, reconciliation, and peace building. There are many others across the country. The Canadian Roots Exchange began a youth reconciliation initiative in 2012. This nationwide initiative includes non uh, Aboriginal and non Aboriginal youth with volunteer opportunities to work together on reconciliation and education activities in the region. The initiative provides youth with leadership development experience, delivering community workshops, opportunities to plan and organize reciprocal exchanges and participation at the National Leadership Exchange or Youth Conference. In 2014, uh, Reconciliation Canada introduced a new youth program through our eyes, changing the Canadian lens. And the program provided opportunities for youth from diverse, I just wanted to check that wasn't, uh, um, sorry, in 2014 Reconciliation Canada introduced that. Youth forums and dialogues are a vital component of education for reconciliation. Nonprofit organizations can play a key role 
and providing ongoing opportunities for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal youth to participate in intercultural uh, inter dialogue and work actively together to foster reconciliation. And finally, the call to Action 66, we call upon the federal government to establish multi-year funding uh, for community-based youth organizations to develop uh, programs on reconciliation and establish a national network to share information and best practices. And with that, I am done. And with that, I am going to turn it over to Gabby because Gabby, I'm pretty sure everything that I just said, um, the folks will want to know more about you, why you're here, and I'm hoping that doesn't mute me, but uh, can you hear me still? We're good? Okay. Um, but we, I guess they probably don't know who you are or why you're here or why you are connected to Call to Action 66. So I would love for you to kind of take the mic. For sure. Um, miigwech, hi, hi. Thanks for sharing, sharing those stories. Um, me? Yeah, so I guess... I guess um, I'll share with you, but it's not gonna be like in a linear fashion. <laughs> in a true, in true indigenous storytelling fashion, it's gonna kind of jump around from the beginning to the middle, to the start, to the end, and back again. Um, so yeah, in 2017, I was appointed as a special youth uh, representative to, or sorry, a special youth advisor um, to Minister Carolyn Bennett. Um, it was a really interesting time. I think it was during a time when uh, Carolyn Bennett was starting um, these, these like book clubs and, you know, her, her, I guess you could say, I don't know, reputation at the time was, was pretty positive. Um, a lot of Indigenous folks really, really liked her. Like, I even remember some Indigenous youth at the time referred to her as, like, uh, their, their Auntie Carolyn. <laughs> um, but that is no longer the case, <laughs> I can tell you for sure. Some Indigenous folks, I'm sure, still love Carolyn Bennett, but um, overall, the general kind of consensus among Indigenous youth, especially, they're really upset with the Liberal Party, they really feel taken advantage of, taken, um, they just feel really like lied to um, regarding all of this talk around reconciliation. And so my experience working as an advisor, um, I was not a representative of the Crown. Um, I was not a staff employee to the minister, I was an advisor. Um, and so that was really important for me as an Indigenous youth, as a Métis youth, um, to say that I will give you advice, but I am no way going to be manipulated to alter my values or morals to suit your agenda. Um, and uh, I was telling Michelle earlier, like, I don't know who recommended us as youth advisors, but we weren't the youth advisors I think the minister was hoping for. I think that she was really hoping for some, like, token youth that she could just, um, like, wrap around her finger and, and bring around with her. 
and essentially that's that's how it started the the conversation um there was like some we had some phone calls and i would i would tell her about my experience working with the friendship centers my experience working with indigenous youth um at a grassroots level and uh and then from there um i began working alongside matali okalik who is a inuk youth as well as andre bear who's a first nation youth uh neheao youth um from uh, saskatchewan and um at in, in the first initial draft letter um so that was like the good thing is that in our uh, letter of appointment the minister actually let us um adjust it to what we wanted to work on but in the first mandate letter um she actually wanted us to create a terms of reference for an indigenous youth council for um at the time was oh my gosh they've changed it so many times now i can't even remember what the what the department was called when we first started working on it <laughs> um but now is crown indigenous relations um so that's actually how the first mandate letter was drafted as they wanted us to create a terms of reference I had been on several youth councils. I'd been a youth representative. I'd worked in many capacities as like, as like the youth. And so, and as well as my colleagues, we knew that that was not going to do anything. To have a youth council or committee um, with the minister was not going to accomplish much. And we really wanted to see systemic changes. We wanted to see policy changes. We wanted to see legislative changes. Um, and so we edited the mandate letter and said that we wanted to work on TRC 66. Um, myself, 66 is so, so important. Um, so again, like this is me jumping to, to the beginning is, uh, so I come from a long line of survivors of residential schools, of day schools, of industrial schools, um, of, of even schools and experiences that Canada has yet to even talk about. Um, but my relatives survived all of that. Um, my relatives survived being labeled terrorists, uh, being hunted down by the RCMP, um, and even despite all of the stuff that my relatives experienced at the hands of the Crown, of the RCMP and the government, we still went and fought uh, during World War I and during World War II um, because honor is so, so important to us. Uh, fairness is so important to us and our reputation and our values and morals, they're so, so important to us. Um, and we knew that we had to, we, we still had to stand up uh, during these times of injustice. And so um, even when, even when my relations returned from, from fighting alongside Canada, they were still um, put into day schools and we're still um, impacted by the 60s scoop and you know all the decades of, of scooping children after the 60s. Um, so that's kind of where um, the, the beginnings of that trauma come from. And so when I was about 12 years old, my, my family, the trauma in my family is, is still there. And it was there when I was a young kid as well. 
And so eventually one night, my mom was like, we got to get away from here. It's just too much. And so we got on a Greyhound bus and we came to Ottawa. And uh, I've been here pretty much ever since. And um, it was hard to be away from family, but in retrospect, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Um, and so I've been able to build my own community uh, here in Ottawa, my, my, fam my chosen family. Um, and so I really, um, I struggled for quite a bit not having family connections though. For during my teen years, um, I know that feeling of, of being lost, of being disconnected, um, of just like trying to, trying to push through all of these barriers and, and just not getting through. Uh, so I, I lived in uh, poverty. Um, I would say I lived in poverty until probably about five years ago. Um, it, it takes a lifetime to really get out of poverty. And um, yeah, being here in Ottawa is quite different than being out West. Um, the indigenous community here is quite smaller, um, a little bit more, I guess you could say invisible, um, which is, comes with its own, own troubles and pros and cons. Um, but I, I was involved in the community. I actually worked as a summer student at the Aboriginal Healing Foundation. Um, so prior to the TRC, the TRC is like the more popular one, but prior to that was the Aboriginal Healing Foundation. And a lot of what we know in the TRC, a lot of the findings and the studies and the research actually came from the Aboriginal Healing Foundation and then the Legacy of Hope, which was a sister organization. Um, and I actually learned about residential schools for the first time when I was a summer student. So I had lived pretty much into my, my 20s, not even knowing, not even knowing where the trauma in my family came from. Um, and then once I figured it out, once I learned it, once I could finally put my finger on it, uh, once I could identify what intergenerational traumas look like, it really changed my life. Um, and so ever since then, I was always, I guess, like an activist um, for, for righting the wrongs that had been done to me and my peers and my, my relations. Um, so in Ottawa, I was really impacted by uh, something called Idle No More. <laughs> uh, some of you might remember that time. It was a really, really important time for young people. Um, it was like a fire that was like lit. Um, all these sparks were lit and, and there was all these young people mobilizing all across Turtle Island. Um, and we just started connecting. And so I still have actually those same networks and we've continued to build on those networks ever since 2012, uh, almost a decade now. Um, but uh, that's where we started working on the ground here in Ottawa. That's where we started creating what we now call the Assembly of Seven Generations, or A7G. And so A7G is an Indigenous youth nonprofit organization. And um, we do drop-ins um, every Friday. We do language classes. Um, we bring youth out to ceremony. Uh, we do land camps, we do elders and youth gatherings. Um, really, we just we just do everything to 
to make sure young indigenous folks have have really great lives um, and we just do what we can uh, so to me this a7g is what trc 66 was talking about um, bringing resources and capacity to grassroots youth organizations um, and so I was so passionate about working on TRC 66. So in, in 2017, we began working, um, we began by creating our values. We created um, our goals and our mission. And um, we, we just, uh, we also, so some of our methodology for doing the research was that we would do a survey and so we did a survey and we were able to uh, receive over 500 responses from indigenous youth across the country. Um, and uh, we really got some qualitative data, um, not quantitative, it was very qualitative. It was open-ended questions. It was like, we received paragraphs and paragraphs and um, a lot of those findings are actually within the uh, roadmap itself. Um, because what the youth said was so, so beautiful. And it was so um, encouraging to hear young people that you had never met have the exact same ambitions and, and drive for their community and well-being. Um, so there was, there was a lot of great, great moments that came from all of that work. Um, I think that it really helped me continue to build my network um, but at the same time, I think it was probably one of the most, most, I don't want to say traumatic. It was definitely a traumatic experience though, not the most, but it uh, was something that it had so much potential, but at the same time, um, we, at the end of it, I just felt so um, disposable. Um, and so it, it was really hurtful, um, but so just kind of going back to the beginning a little bit, what happened is um, we started doing our surveys. We also went, we traveled across the country to visit different communities. Uh, we visited all, anyone that would invite us. Um, and so we visited Inuit, First Nation, as well as Métis communities. Um, I remember there was this one time we visited a Métis settlement and one of our youngest survey, or one of our youngest, I don't know, young people that talked to us was like 11 years old. And he just hung out in the circle with us and um, he ended up doing a survey at the end of, at the end of our little meeting. And um, one of the questions in the survey was, what keeps you safe? And so that young person said, uh, goat man. <laughs> and so for like, I don't know if anybody knows what goat man is, but it's like kind of like this scary, like urban legend type of thing. Um, and it's like kind of like a way that like your aunties would like encourage you to go home before it's nighttime. <laughs> So it's one of those stories and that that's what he said kept them safe. And so if we were if we were maybe non-indigenous researchers or researchers that had no connection to these cultural understandings, we probably would have just like disregarded that comment. 
Um, but myself knowing what Goatman is, I was like, wow, that's actually really powerful <laughs> that he said that. Um, so that's the beauty of, of doing, of when indigenous folks do research with indigenous folks. Um, it just changes the narrative completely. It changes what the findings are. Um, so we travel across the country and then we also had a national gathering of indigenous youth here in Ottawa. We read many, many reports. Um, we did a call for literature from indigenous youth, past and present. Um, and uh, it, it was hard. It was really hard to get a whole bunch of different indigenous folks to agree on anything. <laughs> Uh, but that's that's the reality is that the word indigenous actually refers to so many different experiences and cultures and ways of living. Um, so, you know, even though it was challenging at times, it was really great to see so many young people just really strong in their their teachings and their language and, and their understandings. Um, from there, we, we created the draft. Um, and uh, it took us about two years uh, from, from our appointment letters until we finally were able to present uh, the roadmap to Minister Bennett. Um, there was, there was some, some great allies that worked with us, um, but those, those allies were not in the position to really um, support what we wanted to do um, and uh, at the end of it we were we presented the roadmap to Minister Bennett and uh, Minister Bennett would not commit to our findings um, and so that was the summer of 2000 2018 no that was the summer yeah that was the summer of 2018 2019 I don't know. My years are all mixed up. Um, but I think it is because I have it ready for screen share here. So okay. I'll just bring it up because I, I know I want them to see what it is we're talking about. Because like sure. I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd, right? There it is. So it wants <laughs> to stop it, but here we go. Oh, no, that's not the one I was looking for. Oh, yeah. If you just this is it. Yeah. yeah yes. So um, this is the roadmap that uh, they created. Um, and it was released in 2018. I only know that because it's dated right there, June 2018. <laughs> so, okay, I'll stop the share so that it can go back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was the summer of 2018. Feels so long. It feels so long ago, but just like yesterday. Um, and Carolyn Bennett wouldn't commit. We were pretty devastated. Um, and we also we were we were really young. Like we didn't really understand how all these things worked. We knew what needed to change, but we didn't really understand, like we didn't really understand all the complexities. Um, and there's so much in politics that people don't tell you. There's a lot of really shady things that happen in politics and it's really gross. Um, and so I would say in, and I'm just gonna like uh, name names because it's kind of like the truth of the matter. Um, in October, so a couple months after I got a call from one of uh, the staff 
and they said, um, how would you feel if we put, or how would you feel if we worked on the next phase of TRC 66 with Canadian Roots Exchange? And at the time I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Like I know a lot of folks there that are really great. They've been doing really great work for quite a while. And um, yeah, it would, it would be great. So then we didn't hear from them until probably February of 2019. And then in February of 2019, we got a call and uh, they, and this was um, Carolyn Bennett's like assistant that called us and said, good news, like you're at, you guys are gonna be in the budget. You're gonna be in the federal budget, the 2019 federal budget. And um, it looks really good. And Canadian Roots Exchange is gonna be the uh, administrator. And so we're like, cool, like this is awesome. Like we're gonna be able to continue the next phase of our work. Um, and really the next phase of our work, um, it's in the roadmap and, the next phase, which was really important to me, was research. And it wasn't about researching Indigenous youth. You know, if you go back into the last, I want to say like 50 years, and you look into all of the reports that Indigenous youth have done over the last 50 years, they're almost identical. Not a thing has changed. Um, you can read the RCAP report and the section about young people. And I swear you would think someone, you would think that a youth today wrote that. Um, and so we didn't want to continue doing research on Indigenous youth. We knew the youth told us what they wanted. And so what we wanted to do is research on systemic change, on systemic racism, on why these things aren't changing. And um, we're, I was really excited. I think like we even, um, and then the budget dropped and uh, you know, there was that line in there about TRC 66, um, they were gonna allocate $15 million to TRC 66. Um, it was, they told us it was the first time that indigenous youth ever put something in the federal budget and received it. And so we were super, super happy, um, but things didn't, things didn't work out. <laughs> how we thought um, and shortly after there was a there was a press release uh, from Canadian Roots Exchange saying that they were really happy about uh, working on TRC 66 and didn't mention the roadmap didn't mention any of the work we did and we've never heard from them since so this is kind of where our work ended in terms of our relationship with the federal government um, you know, the message was, was pretty clear that the, they did not want to take this work in the right way. You know, they wanted to do some small little symbolic gestures here and there, but they didn't want to get their hands dirty. They didn't want to do the work that needed to happen. Um, and so it was, you know, that all of that in a nutshell was pretty traumatic. It was pretty pretty hard and like I still feel like I have to go to therapy about it <laughs> um so whenever young people are like telling me that they're gonna work with the federal government I always tell them my experience um because even though there was really great moments I I don't want 
I don't think young people need to go through that. So the, the really great thing though, is that no matter where the federal government is on these matters, we continue to do the work. And for me, um, one of the most important parts, like I mentioned before, like honor is so important, important to us, loyalty, um, fairness. And so despite not having um, that commitment from the federal government, I still have been doing research, indigenous youth led research over the, over the past two years. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really happy about those things. And, and I, I kind of, the way I kind of get through it is I'm like, you know what, this just made me stronger. <laughs> and I just keep doing that work. And I'm really happy about all of the work we do on the ground at a grassroots level. And, um, you know, we don't have any core funding for A7G. We work off of like donations, donations from like settlers, uh, from community members, from indigenous families, um, even like, you know, a survivor of the 60s scoop, they got their settlement and they love our work so much. They gave us some of their settlement money, you know, and that's what, no, no matter what the government says about reconciliation, it isn't happening. At least that's not how I, I don't see it happening. I see indigenous folks, you know, making it work, you know, pushing forward like we always do. And I see, I do see Canadians, you know, taking up, like stepping up to the plate, but not at the numbers that they should be. There's like such bigger steps that can be made. And uh, yeah, but we're still doing the work. Um, and uh, we just work off of like little, little grants here and there. Uh, we've never seen TRC 66 implemented. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I'm going to see it in my lifetime, but at the same time, maybe we're better off not having government funds. If the federal government is trying to manipulate or trying to dictate how indigenous youth live their lives. Um, and so being, having like the freedom to decide what money you take or don't take is really empowering. Um, and it, it makes people really scared at the same time. That's what we've experienced. People are like, oh my gosh, they don't, like they, their values are actually really serious. <laughs> they have like a lot of integrity and people get scared about that. Um, but it's, it's been really great. And, and that work on the ground, I wouldn't change for anything. There's no amount of money that could, that could really compare to that work on the ground. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the story around TRC 66. Um, it's pretty heavy, um, but I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned around it. Um, so yeah, I'm open to questions. There's many other stories I could share too. I the... can't wait. I can't wait to get into <laughs> it. So first, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those things and, and, and the trauma of that. One of the things I run is mending broken hearts because right now there's no the non-Indigenous organization 
that deals with our intergenerational trauma that, um, you know, they regularly gaslight us, right? So um, at a certain point, you just kind of completely detach from the Canadian society. And right now, I'm like super disenfranchised. Um, I have my own story, obviously, I'm with the Liberal Party. But uh, so it's, it's equally awful in a lot of ways when I deal with um, settlers that are <laughs> their idea of commitment to helping us is not d indigenous led it's always them led and it that is the problem right where you know we we you literally gave them something called a roadmap a literal like pieces of paper saying here we this is how we do it and it was disregarded and one of the things i wanted to um talk about is that one of the things we we kind of rely on that i i don't love uh because i think it's way too liberal in you know favor of the canadian government is the beyond 94 um to kind of give us an idea of what the government thinks that they're doing through the cbc and this one they consider like in progress and you know they're looking at the indigenous youth reconciliation through the canadian roots exchange as as progress of course not <laughs> not giving any depth at all to what you had said and then um I don't know if people know, but recently there was an article that came out about how a lot of the money uh, was actually allocated for RCMP and youth programs as the initiative for 66. Like you heard me speak, you heard the intent and the idea that it was more to be about, um, you know, changing systemically the the entire education system and then creating space for more um indigenous focused um initiatives so i had it up but i can't find it right now so maybe i'll, I'll just for the moment encapsulate that and i'll try to find it and in the meantime oh and i wanted to ask you um if you if you when you were working on the roadmap and doing the work that you were doing if you had heard of ocap the um you know ownership uh, control access and possession of information and if you had any partnership with them or did you work with the First Nation uh, Governance Information Center I think is their name so I just wanted to ask you about that yeah um, just to like mention about the RCMP stuff so uh, when we were doing research on TRC 66 we asked um the federal employees i don't know what to call them like the bureaucrats we asked them to because they said they would they would be working for us like i, re I literally remember them saying that uh, like a whole bunch of them to like about 20 of them they're like we're gonna be here supporting you it's gonna be awesome <laughs> and so um we're like cool like we just want to know how much federal money is going towards indigenous youth right now and um, like really like everybody would just kind of like looked around and no one could give us a clear answer. And then finally one of those folks like took the time maybe about a, about a week to compile all of the federal youth funds that they could find. Um, and so, or like funds that also go to indigenous youth and so it was like really like sketchy kind of research that they did 
it was um, like they listed all of the programs and then they had um, like some of them had money attached to them and then some of them were just blank. So the actual number we don't really know, but from the amounts that were provided to us, it was about like $3.8 billion that go towards youth funding every year. But the ones that got the most funding um, were for military and RCMP recruitment. Um, and so we're just like, how is this reconciliation? Like what, when did Indigenous youth ask for these programs? You know, this goes against everything that young people told us when we were doing the roadmap. Like if you read the roadmap, you're not gonna find one youth that said they want to be recruited into the military. <laughs> And, but yet, all of the youth funding is going to recruitment. And so people talk about residential schools um, like it happened in the past. And, and yeah, for the most part, a lot of them did. Like the last one closed in, in 96 and 98. But that, that, I don't know what you would call it, like that template of assimilation, it carried into other ways. And so like right now, we actually have more children in foster care than at the peak of residential schools. You know, we have, we don't have youth funding for programs that rebuild indigenous knowledge or language or culture, but we have recruitment programs into military and police. Um, so that, that violent assimilation has continued to perpetuate and it, it changes its name, but it's still there, you know, and those are the problems that Canadians, we, we need Canadians to help us fight against. You know, this is systemic racism. Most, yes. like most Canadian youth don't have to deal with these things. Um, but it's just like a focus on indigenous youth and as well as like black youth and other, other youth of color. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Go ahead. Yep. Oh, I didn't answer the other question, but no, we, I know of the, oh my gosh, OCAB? Yeah. OCAB. OCAB. Yeah. OCAB. Okay. Yeah. We knew, we know of OCAB, um, but we didn't actually work with OCAB directly um, or with the governance, the First Nation governance, because we wanted to work with Inuit and Métis. And so there's all these little like, I don't know, like little like hoops you have to jump through. Um, and so because it was broader than just First Nation, um, some of those synergies could, wouldn't, weren't able to be made. Um, but yeah, we worked really closely. We worked really closely with like so many folks. Um, Cindy Blackstock was like a huge mentor of ours. Um, I still work really closely with Cindy Blackstock, and if it wasn't for Cindy Blackstock, our, the roadmap would have just vanished. But it's uh, actually the First Nation Caring Society that hosts our roadmap to this day, um, and also worked, us, worked with us on, on further research coming from the roadmap. I love Cindy Blackstock. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Maybe what I'll do is I'll start with Vanessa and, um, you know, if there's something that you learned or something you want to say or something you want to ask. Yes, thank you so much, Gabby, for your time, for your work. 
that's difficult work and that's I'm very ashamed of what we are not doing as a society to address this and um, just the systemic racism part is really really important for people to understand I think that's my takeaway is this is systemic is intentional it is there for everyone to see and all levels of government continue to refuse to address it so it's and that was my problem last week with the uh with the racism inquiry in calgary it's just re-traumatizing for all of those who participated including myself um no like what you said about needing therapy like that's totally totally what it is like it, it just keeps being each time you bring it up even for for us to learn like that's unpaid labor from you that's re-traumatizing for you and all the work you did and and it's wrong and it shouldn't be happening and i am very angry now but i guess that keeps us going in this work how how angry we are and i wish i could come from in my activism as i could come from and it's also coming from love and hope but it's mainly coming from anger i'm really really upset at some things that happened in this country and i recently met with um they're they're not uh Born, born in Canada, but indigenous, you could say youth, because many of them are under 30. And they have been displaced from their original lands in the peninsula of, of, of Yucatan in Mexico. They're Mayan, and they come to this country and they grow our food and they put food on our tables. And they grow the flowers that we give to our friends in their birthdays. And they speak indigenous languages they barely speak Spanish um, and these are indigenous uh, young men and women coming to this country and also so you'll and and when you ask them why are they here as mining companies Canadian mining companies are in their original territories tearing everything apart cleaning environment so I guess what I'm saying is this is intentional and systematic and institutional and and it's not going to be fixed with you know you know nice words and dialogue with settlers like it's not going to happen like it it has to come from policy change and it has to come from the work that for example you do so my solidarity goes to you my all of my respect and utmost admiration for what you do and uh, we'll keep pushing at a municipal level here for youth programming for racialized youth because there's none and uh, there's there are so many things going on for white children and nothing for our children I am I am I'm, I'm working with the town if that's a thing with the town of Cochrane um suggesting what they can do and of course they want to organize uh, a, a volunteer committee 
for us to give them our input. And I know how that's gonna end and that's gonna be hours and hours from us, from black parents, indigenous parents and parents of color that and none of that's gonna happen. So we just, we'll just keep pushing and it's, it's really an honor to hear from you and hear from your work. So thank you. It gives us hope. Did you want to respond at all, Gabe? <laughs> sure. Um, thanks for, for sharing that. Uh, yeah, sometimes we do this work and we just, you know, it just feels like we just get beat down. But it's really nice to see that there are folks that see the value in that work and can resonate and, and see, you know, see why we continue to do that work. And um, I, I wanted to also share like from that, like from that research, um, from that roadmap, we also did um, ethical, so we created ethical um, engagement practices with and for indigenous youth um, because that was another piece that we found working with the federal government is that um, they, they had all of these like bureaucrats that said that they did some kind of analysis or evaluation on the needs of indigenous youth. And then we would look at their evaluations for like, we just read the briefing and we're like, how did, who even did you talk to about this? What community did you talk to? And uh, I also did a contract with um, ESDC after we did the roadmap and uh, they hired me as an evaluator for a reconciliation funding program. And um, I actually had to sign like a, confidentiality agreement so I can't like say all the details but basically um, it was a reconciliation substream and uh, it they like someone just created it like off the the side of their desk someone that was non-indigenous and um, basically the the program was just bringing non-indigenous youth to powwows and I'm like it needs to go beyond just bringing folks to a powwow and then, you know, that's their cultural training. And so um, I asked a lot of the staff in, in that department, I made a lot of them feel uncomfortable, but I asked them like, who, what, what TRC call to action are you referring to when you created this funding program? And like, they, they just told me, you know what, that's a really good question. <laughs> That was their answer. <laughs> so I just, my evaluation really, um, I think they just tried to bury it. Like they wouldn't even let that about that analysis get to Indigenous youth that were part of the uh, selection committee. But um, it was so, so problematic. And so we created ethical ways of engagement. What, what does research look for, look like for Indigenous youth? And it's so much different than just collecting numbers. It's so, so much different than just Statistics Canada. Um, research for us is reciprocal. So if you're coming in to do research, you have to commit to what you're saying, first of all, and you have to come back to the community. It can't just be an in and out, take and extract from our communities and leave. Um, so we do have that, that guideline 
Um, there was also a, a first gathering of First Nations youth and care that happened. And um, they also put their rec recommendations together. Um, they put their recommendations together about their experience in, in child welfare. And it was about equity and justice and reform. And so that was really empowering for them. Um, and they were able to build off of TRC 66. And, uh, you know, it, it always comes back to TRC 66 because a lot of those youth talked about, well, I wanna see ceremony in my community. I wanna see cultural practices. I wanna see programs run by indigenous youth, determined by community. And so um, we also recently in Ottawa, we also created um, a report called Mapping Indigenous Youth Services in Ottawa. And um, again, you know, we said the youth told us what they wanted to see in Ottawa. And we also um, were able to, we didn't really like call out any organizations or anything. But in the research, there was little to no safe places for Indigenous youth to go to access services. Um, and for a long time, people would just think that I was like this angry Native woman that just like w couldn't find like, <laughs> that just couldn't find something nice to talk about. But now we have research, like we have reports to back this up. And this isn't just my experience. This is the experience of many Indigenous youth. And so from mapping, um, from that report, Mapping Indigenous Youth Services, we're now going to be creating an Indigenous Youth Services Evaluation. Um, so this will be Indigenous youth going into organizations and evaluating if they're actually safe, if they are practicing institutional racism, um, if they're holistic, um, if they're safe for, if they're, if there's, if they're practicing cultural safety, or if there is even space for Indigenous youth to practice their cultures. And so the list goes on and on, but, um, you know, we've had enough and, you know, organizations can no longer just say that they work with Indigenous youth. That, that's not good enough. Um, and so we're going to be going in and, and actually evaluating them and giving them a grade. <laughs> Good. They're doing this. <laughs> no, they need that. I mean, um, kind of to jump off of what Vanessa said, I mean, I didn't even participate in the city um, racism conversations because I knew they weren't safe. I knew as soon as I called out District 4 or whoever I decided to call out, it would be um, immediately, you know, cops making the mistake of coming down my door mistakenly, you know, like there was no whistleblower protection in any capacity. And um, it's so funny because when you said, uh, that's a really great question, was the answer, like we're all taught as politicians, that's the number one thing you say, when, especially when it's something you're not ready to answer, not willing to answer, and you use that as that pivot redirect, um, you know, comment to move. So you know TRC 57, where they're supposed to have public servants have indigenous education, clearly don't, clearly have no concept. And you know, I would think the most precious thing on the planet would be to see the kids that are in foster care, you know, put together their thoughts like that, 
and to honor that. That's probably one of the most sacred documents I can think of that there would be because um, nothing matters more to me than a youth voice. And back to you being labeled the angry native. I mean, I think Vanessa and I could probably <laughs> tell you story after story of being the angry, you know, POC, BIPOC um, person that, I mean, and, and I, I was really gaslit by the city of Calgary because, I mean, I've been the MMIW co-chair for, for quite a few years and I ran on it in 2017 and, and um, just recently our provincial one about the amount of systemic racism. And, and of course I came with solutions because just like mm. you, I've seen these roadmaps, just like you, I've seen these calls to action, just like you, I've seen the RCAP and these were not something that like institutionally they don't want to implement and institutionally all of the so-called progressive supporters don't really want me in there you know talking about these issues it's so much easier to get some you know white NDP or to be that that's going to be our person to run against you know as opposed to actually working with POC on issues of POC so I don't you, you were there Michelle I'm sorry but I I you were there when I spoke so I told him, listen, listen to Indigenous women. Read Michelle Robinson's petition on defunding the police. It's there since the beginning of June. Listen to Black women. Listen right. to Indigenous women. So, yeah. So just, yeah, you were there. Sorry. Yeah, and just so you know, <laughs> Vanessa, like literally I got emails from people, but do you think they would just share it in their networks? Like it, it, it we're still there and it, it's, it's awful, but I, I, Let's give Sarah a chance to kind of give your thoughts or uh, maybe something you learned or, or just a, a thank you, whatever you, that looks like for you, Sarah. Oh, maybe Sarah's not with us. Oh, here she is. Perfect. You're talking about me, Sarah? Yeah, we only have one okay. Sarah. Okay. Uh, first of all, Gab Gabby, um, just uh, again, as Vanessa said, um, thank you for taking the time. Um, it was a huge honor and also very powerful to hear you speak. Um, I was really stunned and shocked and horrified and also it mirrored my own experience when you said that you hadn't even known about the residential schools until you were in your 20s um, and that then you had that experience of putting that finger on what was happening, what you had seen happening all your life in your own family. And um, I am non-Indigenous, I'm settler. Um, so obviously I haven't had that experience, but I did have the experience of learning about the residential schools at I think age 40, 47. And having my heart fall out of my chest and my jaw fall down to the floor, understanding that this could happen and, and people were just going about their daily lives. Um, so that's something that I'm still working on, trying to figure out how to take this information and not be consumed with rage and still live a life. Um, and I, I feel like that's become part of my mission is to calmly, and because I live in white society, um, to calmly and help people become aware that they're not even aware of things. I, of course, I hear so many 
you know, racist comments constantly and people from nice people who don't even realize that that what they're saying is racist. And so um, anyway, your, your words really inspired me and reinvigorated me to keep up with that and to keep continually just like a drop of water in a canyon. Just every time somebody says anything, just come back with, did you know that the residential schools closed in 1996? Did you know about the 60s scoop? Did you know that there are still so many kids in foster care even now? Did you know that when indigenous women give birth, there are all these, anyway, so thank you for reinvigorating me. And I, while we were here, I went onto the A7G website and, um, if I can find the donate tab, of course I'll donate and I will promote it on my social media and suggest that all my settler contacts do the same. So anyway, thank you. It was an honor to meet you. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Um, yeah, that's, that's so awesome. Um, it's, it's really important to have, to have allies that are, um, like always down for you. <laughs> There's a lot of allyship that's conditional. <laughs> and um, like we really, like we don't even need allies. We need accomplices. That's what we need. You know, people that are, that are going to be with us the whole time. And um, yeah, I'm just sharing a bunch of like the, rep the reports and research I was mentioning. Um, so you're welcome to to read them yourselves. Um, and yeah, if, if someone, you know, I, I get a lot of folks that um, kind of like don't believe or don't want to believe that Indigenous youth can be the experts of their own lives. Um, and so you can share all of these documents with them. You know, all of these documents are created by Indigenous youth themselves. And um, they're really beautifully written, well-written, um, and very, I don't know. I just, I just love these, these reports that we were able to work on. So feel free to use them. Thank you so much. I will share them, read them myself, and then share them. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Kat, do you want to go next? Sorry, I was busy downloading all the links. Um, I would like to echo what Vanessa and Sarah have said and say thank you so much, Gabby, for your, your knowledge, your wisdom, your teachings. Um, very much honored to, to hear your experience. And um, I strive to be an accomplice, a good accomplice every day as well. Um, my question actually for you, Gabby, is what do you think of Canadian Roots Exchange now? What is your opinion of them and what do you think about how they're doing? Oh man, I, yeah, I, I don't associate with them at all. Um, prior to that all happening, we actually had an MOU with them um, and they, they still, uh, like went behind our backs and yeah like we haven't heard from them since it's been over a year like not one nothing the only thing that I actually hear from them are when new uh, young people are hired on 
and then they'll reach out they'll be like the Ottawa like representative or something and then they'll reach out to us and be like hey like I'm working on this thing did you guys want to work together <laughs> and I'm just like no I, I we can't um, and you know a lot of that has to do with really toxic masculinity and when organizations are led by very harmful men um, you know, there's there's a lot of stories that that we know about the harm that these men have done, but we can't actually we can't actually write about them or say them out loud because you know these folks are the type of folks that will sue you uh, for defamation of character for for you know like all these things. So, but there's a lot of um, like like a lot a lot of indigenous women and like and like femmes and trans folks and two-spirit folks we have like underground like webs of of communication and so word word does get get out like people are warned um but unfortunately i actually have friends that that went to work for them um and i i kind of like was like oh that hurts but at the same time like you gotta pay your bills um, they're young indigenous youth themselves, you know, and they they get like paid a, like a pretty good salary. And so I'm happy for them that they're able to do that. And um, it's good to know that there are good people within that organization that are pushing back against these types of behaviors. Um, so I hope that, you know, one day there is some kind of apology or some like some kind of reconciliation. <laughs> But so until then, I, I just keep my distance and um, the work that they've been doing regarding TRC 66 isn't actually referenced in the roadmap at all. So, you know, again, it's like this weird, like shady political stuff. Um, and there's a lot of people that are friends with politicians and they use these friendships and cliques to get what they want. Um, you know, the prime example is what, what happened with Justin Trudeau and uh, Mark Kilberger. You know, that, that's politics right now, and it's really shady, and it's just about who you're friends with. Um, so I, I hope that more and more of these things are exposed. It's good that we is being exposed right now. Thank you. And yeah, I'm sorry that uh, it was a shitty experience. Actually, it really says a lot about um, how serious we are about TRC and reconciliation that the very, you know, folks, very, the offspring, the survivors of Indian residential school, they're the ones we're going to kick in the face, you know, just like the RCMP have for generations. Uh, Rosemary, maybe um, if you, you want to go next. Yes, thank you so much. Um, because as, as I listened to you, I had these uh, little aha moments because, you know, I, I read the call to action, then I read what the government said it was doing. And it was like, well, who's the Canada Roots Exchange? Who's this NGO? I thought these things are supposed to be based in the community, from the community. And, and, then, and then the government also talks about $100 million spread out over 
five years for something called, I don't know, the Canada Youth Corps or Canada Volunteer Corps. And, um, and then you find out, well, they'll give priority to, uh, you know, uh, applications or submissions from Indigenous communities. And I just thought, so it's all getting mixed up together. Who's benefiting from this? That, that was kind of the first reaction. So you've really done a lot to explain it all. And it's interesting because when I, when I saw the thing about the Roots Exchange and um, the other, the first thing that came to mind was the WE, the we Foundation issue. Um, just just wondering how those decisions were made. But the other thing I want to thank you for, and uh, I, I think this would be the way I felt about so many young people who presented at the hearings with the City of Calgary, is there is so much hope in what you are doing with your group, with this AG7. You're, you're just going ahead and doing it. And, and I almost feel like that that will be the way forward. Not that you don't want these institutions to change, but you can't wait, right? None of us can afford to wait for, for the change to happen. You, you just, so thank you for going ahead, doing that work, modeling that work, the hope involved in that work. And uh, again, I felt the same way so many of the young people who presented um, or younger, young people who presented uh, at the City of Calgary hearings, it, they, it was just like, wow, there is power. There is power in, in, not in the room, but in the collective voice of the people who were speaking, I felt. So thank you. Uh, yeah, I was at the closing of uh, TRC in, uh, here in Ottawa. It was really, really, um, I think I'm at the point where I actually don't want to talk about residential schools anymore. Um, it's just like so hard. Uh, like even like just now, like thinking about some of the shit like my relatives went through, you know, and a lot of my aunties and uncles, they never actually told their stories. Even mm. at when there was the, the hearings and things like that, they, some of them died never ever telling their stories. And some of them are now in their 80s. Mm -hmm. And those stories are slowly coming out. Mm -hmm. But even like a five minute story can be so triggering. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm kind of at this place where it was like really great to be there for the closing um but i just was crying the whole time <laughs> um and i you know they say like tears are good and i think they are but at the same time like i i just i don't want to always go through that mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but there was we had a walking with our sisters um ceremony at the closing mm -hmm. that was really beautiful we had um folks from across Turtle Island make a little like children moccasin vamps mm. um, yeah and we had a beautiful pipe ceremony and um, of course we got we got in trouble with the hotel <laughs> but we we were like it's the closing of the TRC like do you not even know the event that's being hosted here 
um and then the hotel just kind of had to like let us do our thing um and I got to meet this like really deadly round dance singer and um he's like he's kind of like I always think about him when I when I sing round dance and I, I love round dance and so we organize round dance here in Ottawa every year and we have a beautiful community ceremony every year and I always think of that that man you know he is a residential school survivor <laughs> and he um they did like a, a march that how long was that march like probably like 15 kilometers maybe wow. more mm-hmm. oh like 30 kilometers and this man was leading the whole march and he was singing round dance songs like like with this like real like smooth high pitch too and he never even got short of breath once (laughs) and so you know I always think of that man and that that's the kind of like power I want to have that's the kind of way I want to do things yeah but I'm gonna share um I have this uh, little tree diagram that we created to really illustrate what A7G does so I'm just gonna find that and I'll, I'll share it with you guys That'd be but awesome. Thank you. you don't have to wait for me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Rosemary. Uh, Heather, do you want to go next? I want to see that tree. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, systemic. It's the same old, same old. It's embarrassing. Um, I was on, just randomly listening to a CBC thing on um, art and art galleries and art museums. And um, people were pointed to be part of the, uh, you know, anti-racism board on the art gallery. And they found out later that they weren't actually supposed to do anything or change anything. They were just supposed to be there to fulfill an appointment. And they felt that same, you know, the same words came out of their mouth, their disposability and how hurt they felt just being puppeted, you know, going into it with their heart as a young person, as a young person artist or whatever it was in this case, and and just being so hurt that um, the uh, as, as long as the system stays uh, patriarchal, men at the top, men with power, men with money, making all the decisions, they can appoint whatever committees they want. They don't want to be addressed. And so, you know, you know, it, it keeps going around the circle and I'm so glad I'm learning what I'm learning, but it, it hurts. It, it's really hurtful and embarrassing and it, it hurts you to be part of it. It hurts me to have put you up to it in a way, right? Me, the system, whatever it was. So the last time I saw Sarah, though, was on the bridge. We took Reconciliation. We have a bridge renamed Reconciliation Bridge. They thought that would be the end of it here. Little did they know that Idle No More is not going to sit back in Calgary and say, you name a bridge. So we went and captured it during one of the pipeline things and uh, held it for the afternoon. And we, as supporters to the Indigenous Nations and to the Idol No More totally did not take any other role than you decide and I'm supporting and it was humbling and I felt worthwhile 
I felt like I fulfilled a role in that. And, um, and then you wake up the next morning and life carries on. But I'm so grateful like to Michelle and this book club and to yourself coming on it and to, um, I mean, I went on that beyond 94, you know, they'll use that as a resource, right? Okay, so it says, well, they've got money and they've got this and they've got that, right? So where is another interview going to CBC? Or do you have to go to Rabble? And maybe Rabble needs to have an Indigenous page. Do they have an Indigenous page? But they need one. They absolutely need it. Uh, indigenous, this is, this is uh, the 94 Calls to Action continued, right? They need to have that page where we can get honest, real, true explanation circulating. That's kind of the power of our book club, I think, is that we can kind of um, yeah. really be honest about it. I mean, it's one thing for the CBC that gets funded to put out, yeah, no, this is totally in progress. Um, but the truth is that's part of it. Like T.ca, they were the ones who put it, so that's T-Y-E-E. -E. They were the ones who actually put out a really good article that uh, Gabby's actually quoted in about this particular topic, right? So, um, and that's why I, of course, talk about Indigenous-led podcasts, because mm. you're not going to get the truth from, you know, those well-meaning settlers that speak for us that never hit the mark, that actually don't even listen to us. Like, they... That's the worst part is that half the time they don't even hear what we're talking about. They already have it formulated in their head what they want to talk about. And I mean, I seen that this week and I had, um, I was giving a, a land acknowledgement teaching and I heard more about, you know, somebody's memory of 29 years ago at uh, Montreal than like I finally just said, so you didn't learn anything from my land acknowledgement teaching. Okay, let's move on because it was really clear there they weren't listening so like for Gabby to be sharing everything that she shared you know mm -hmm. I'm just grateful that you're you're all really focused about talking about what you heard from her so um Crystal or actually sorry Crystal Gab do you want to respond at all to Heather before we move to Crystal uh, sure. Yeah, like that's that's so awesome that you uh, captured the bridge. You know, we did. We were doing a lot of stuff here in Ottawa as well. Uh, so we occupied the Department of Justice. Um, so it was occupied by Indigenous youth and our allies. A lot of our allies are actually uh, Black folks, and uh, so we need we need more white allies. That's for sure. They really, um, there just isn't enough. Like, it, it just seems like it's BIPOC doing all this work. So, yeah, that's really cool that you were you were doing that. We we had some really cool like cookums though. They were um, the ones that were like leading the marches, and so they would like run ahead and like block off the intersection. Or um, at one point, yeah, at one point we had uh, snipers that we're uh, watching our, our steps. Uh, so that was really like infuriating, considering, you know, like all this reconciliation nonsense. And then you have like snipers and military waiting for us. Um, but if it wasn't for these, uh, these grandmas that ran ahead, they saw, um, they had like a big bus 
I think it was like a double-decker bus. We have those in Ottawa. Um, and it was uh, just waiting for us to, and they had riot police. Then they wanted us to go a certain route where that bus was. So they could just kind of like rally us all up onto that bus. But if it wasn't for those allies and like those grandmas that ran ahead, and you know, they, they've been doing this for decades. If it wasn't for their expertise and you know, their, their allyship and being accomplices, we would have probably went that route, you know, and, and all of our actions, our peaceful actions would have just been, um, we probably just would have been carried off somewhere. So yeah, keep, keep doing that good work. We really, we really need it. <laughs> I'll have to give a shout out to Francis, uh, to Katie, uh, Heather and Joe too about that. Cause they, they did a lot of that heavy lifting. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge that it's 8.22 and we have Crystal and Andrea. So uh, just to be mindful of our of time, go ahead, Crystal. Okay. Uh, hi, Gabby. Um, yeah, thank you so much. There's It was such a rich conversation and sharing such personal details of your story to really help us understand your context and like where you're coming from and why it's so meaningful. I think uh, we really appreciate, I appreciate that so much. Um, and I feel that this government has massively underestimated who they're dealing with mm -hmm. because like they don't know who they got involved with, obviously, because you are not giving up and you're holding true to your values in the most beautiful way. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe by that, you're gonna get a lot more support so like people like me and us here, like I, 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 we're just like totally invested, right? And that now we know where you're working, how we can help, then we can get the word out to more people. And yeah, this, this government, I think at the end of the day, it, they're gonna have to admit this whole country is based on a fiction and everything has to come apart, right? So like the Supreme Court is like hanging on by the fingernails like they're just hanging on by the fingernails of like not making that final judgment that says actually your whole like legitimacy to govern is based on a lie and so now all of those pressures are coming to bear against it because they're like no no we have to like prop up this thing even though they don't really know why they want that and they there's no real uh, like evidence to show that it's a good thing right but that's how i see but like they've just massively underestimated indigenous people um, who they're dealing with and i really believe that it's the values that are going to get the support um and yeah as, as to white people support like working on it and yeah it, i'm sorry it's such a hard thing to come around but i do feel like there will be a path forward and the people who aren't going to join us are going to going to be left behind for that part. Yeah. So again, thank you. I really I appreciate so much. This talk has been like, I could pay like a university lecture fee for the the, you know, <laughs> the the value of this talk. It's yeah, amazing that we can have this in this very intimate setting in this book club. So yeah, thank you. Um, Andrea, do you want to chime in or? Um, 
I sort of feel, I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, it's always so powerful hearing these conversations and I'm just left with a sense of, oh my God, just the overwhelming sense of how do we tackle this? But, you know, just chisel away and uh, Gabby just feel empowered by people like you and obviously Michelle would just keep at it and keep at it and just tr keep trying. So inspired by you, I, I will say, and I don't know if I'm just desperate to see something positive, <laughs> but I look at my two teenage daughters and I feel like that generation it's, I could see maybe some change. Like they, they, I feel like they get it. There's something wrong about it. And I just, my faith has to go to them and that next generation will hopefully be able to make that huge, big change. It has to happen. It's not, anyway, I, I, I'm not going to say anymore. I could go on forever. <laughs> But really appreciate, oh my God, your your amazing work and your commitment, Gabby. Truly, truly um, inspiring. Uh, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks, Crystal, for your, your powerful words. And Andrea, I totally agree. Like, man, young people are just so awesome. <laughs> like, I work with young people all the time. I'm not, like, I'm not a young person myself. Like, I'm in my 30s. <laughs> but I work with, like, youth in high school and like just getting into university kind of that age group and they're just something else like wow they're all I'm always learning so much from them they're always really teaching me about um just reducing the amount of harm you cause like that's mm -hmm. literally the bottom line just whatever you do in your actions just make sure that you're reducing as less as little harm as possible um and so I just, I found my little tree. <laughs> oh no, could you make me a host for a second? I'll share my little uh, A7G diagram with you. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Um, it took a while for, cause we're working with um, non-indigenous um, graphic designers. So it took them, I would say about two years to figure out what I was talking about. <laughs> but that's okay. We got there. Um, so this is kind of like what A7G looks like to us. Um, and for us, those mitigok, those mitig, those trees are so, so important. Um, yeah, like trees are just so, so important to like our breath, to the water. Um, and like over here, there's a lot of maple trees. And so like the sugar bush season is so, so important. Um, and there's so, so much like medicine in the maple, maple water. Um, so that was kind of like our inspiration. Um, but here you could see at the bottom is like, this is our roots. And so our roots are our kin, um, the land, of course, our ancestors and our culture. Um, so those are kind of like what we're rooted in. And then this is like our little tree trunk. And so kind of in the middle is A7G. And so what A7G really tries to encapsulate is community, gratefulness, traditional practices, land-based learning, youth planning, enjoyment, inspiration, passion, personal growth, and safety. Um, so safety is like a really, really big one for us. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm Bear Clan. 
Um, so I'm often kind of thought of as like that mama bear, um, very protective over the, the young people. <laughs> um, and then like right around A7G is our close family. And then around that is like the larger indigenous community. And then around that is like the larger uh, non-indigenous community. Um, and so that's kind of like our foundation. That's like who we are um, and what protects us and what helps us grow. And then what's on the leaves, um, or sorry, the branches are annual events. And the leaves of the annual events are things like our elders and youth gathering, round dance, land camp, sugar bush. Um, yeah, and so all of these are little branches. So tea and chat Mondays, uh, we do virtual tea and chat. It's kind of just like um, how knowledge would be transferred. It's not like, I feel like people think of like traditional knowledge as this like really romanticized experience, but it's really just often like traditional knowledge keepers having tea with, with their grandchildren or having food. Um, and that's how knowledge is actually transferred. Um, it's not like a like a like a transferring of like the flame or anything like in the Olympics. <laughs> um, but also over here we have special events. Um, so we try to take up as many opportunities as we can um, and bring give as many opportunities back to youth. Um, so we go on trips every once in a while. Like just before the pandemic started, we went to Toronto and there was like about ten of us that went and um yeah we're able to travel like a family uh we don't have to worry about young people like running off or misbehaving because we have respect for one another um and so we also do reports and advocacy so that's like a lot of the reports are shared uh we do a language drop-in nishnabimun drop-in and we also do friday nights so yeah that's our little tree um that's what we do and uh that's like I wish I wish young people and every every community could have something like that. It doesn't have to look exactly the same, but just to have that that tree. <laughs> uh, so Miigwech for listening. Hi hi. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, and I'll pass it back to you, Michelle. Well, I'm so honored. I'm so grateful that you would share that with us because uh, I think a lot of folks here, you know, want to be better allies and they need visuals like that. Um, just so everyone can see, I wanted to point out that Kat had added her Settler Book Club, uh, White Fragility uh, by Robin uh, D'Angelo. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, that book changed my life. Um, being able to talk and verbalize things like, uh, you know, racial battle fatigue and uh, microaggressions and, and just that bigger picture of what is needed for self-care and such because uh, mm -hmm. you know we talk about racism every single day we're experts in it and mostly we're expected to be put on these free committees where we relive our traumas without proper help and uh, that's part of the reason why I think smudge is so important when talking about this because the whole purpose of the book club is for us to honor our ancestors that died or survived Indian residential school like my uncle also didn't and I wanted to give a quick bit of context too because Gabriel is uh, or Gabby is um, Métis and Métis were purposely excluded from the Indian residential school TRC thing um, there what like there is a book I have like this itty bitty book here for the Métis experience but the 
bigger point is, is that uh, the day schools, the, the Métis experience, all of those things, they weren't all completely encapsulated in the TRC. So, and as you all know from uh, the other books that we've done, we've had a lot of other um, traumas and not everything's in a book, like what happened at Moccasin Flats to the Fort McMurray Métis. We've never um, done a book on that. You know, that would be something I think would be really good. And um, what was one other thing I wanted to say about the Settlers Book Club? So I recommend people going to that if uh, if needed. And that's a good example of allyship too, um, where I don't want to always have to explain racism to white people. <laughs> so, and then, and vice versa, I don't want to have to explain, um, you know, indigenous perspective to every single person who's like, oh my God, natives exist. Or, uh, you know, I honestly, I, I just wish people would start to listen to us because it's in reports, our podcasts, our, you know, TV interviews, and yet they still don't, they talk over us, right? So, um, that's why I honor that you're all here. And one other thing that I wanted to point out that Gaby brought up that was, um, you know, so much chauvinism in these organizations. Mm -hmm. Look at all the men in our book club tonight. <laughs> anyway, so I guess with that, uh, I'll leave it for now. I'm going to upload this uh, to um, my my YouTube and I'll send it obviously to Gab. I'll uh, tag her. So uh, actually, Gabrielle, do you want to uh, at all talk about ways to get a hold of you? Because uh, I, I tagged you on Twitter, talked to you on Twitter, because um, a lot of us follow each other. But uh, is there other ways that uh, non-Indigenous can get a hold of you? Yeah, I actually don't use Facebook. <laughs> I just find like there's a lot of not very good conversations that happen there. Mm -hmm. um, but I use Twitter. Um, so it's just at Gabrielle V. Fayon. I can, I can put it all in the group chat. Eh? Um, and I use Instagram a lot. Um, and I'm pretty active on Instagram. So I put like, I have my personal stuff. And then we also have A7G on all these platforms. Uh, we have A7G on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And then, um, yeah, I'm involved in like tons of other things too. Uh, but we also do like an indigenous fashion blog on Instagram. And so you're always welcome to follow that. <laughs> um, it's more like a fun, it's like more like a fun platform. But we also do address like cultural appropriation when it happens. Um, and we definitely used our, our platform to support Black Lives Matter and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'll put all those Okay, let's see if I can make them all. Thank you. Thank you for that. Because, yeah, I just want to, I want to elevate your voice, too, and make sure that people know you're the person to kind of look to on some of these initiatives because of the work that you're doing. And, um, yeah, hoping that we can, you know, keep following your your work and, and encourage other folks to, like, actually listen <laughs> to Indigenous people. Listen, and, and even for me, I'm 43, so you know, I try to promote um, younger voices for sure. And I think part of it is because uh, I've, I feel pretty silenced. So it's really clear that Calgary's done listening to me. So the quicker I can get other voices to elevate the same message, the better. Um, there we go. Her Twitter, Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to 
I don't think I'm following all of those because I'm not onto all of the mediums really well. So anyway, thanks everyone for coming. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I hope you have a, a safe next uh, month until next month and uh, just be safe with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. You too, Michelle. Thanks, Rosemary. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Michelle, what's the next book for August, Michelle? Well, it's not a TRC call to action. That I know. I shared the whole thing earlier Ooh. today because uh, I uh, I wanted to have it available. It's, it's the Jody Wilson Rabel oh, book oh, from where I stand. Thank, thank you. Oh. I'm halfway done that one, so that's perfect. Oh, yeah, we had a, a two-spirit youth loss. So I'm a little, I had a bit of a cry before this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so we have our uh, Indigenous Pride with 12 CSI book club listing. And um, so we have I Where I Stand, From Where I Stand from Jody Wilson-Raybo. And then the September one will be the Museums and Archives TRC Calls to Action 67 mm -hmm. to 70, which will be relevant. Please remember about the uh, pro protest we just had on Saturday when it came to the artifacts, the private collection that went on sale. Um, and other things like that that we want to talk about so yeah thank you Gabby for everything thank you for coming we honor you thank you thank you <laughs> thanks for having me <laughs> have a good night everyone you too bye, bye everybody